we rolling? We are now rolling. Yes. Alberta <laughs> Filmmakers Podcast. Me, 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 me. Okay, anytime. Hello, and welcome to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. I'm Scott Westby. Hey, I'm Matt Waterworth. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm just spiffy keen. Thanks for asking me that. So every week... Uh, how are you, goal, Oh, I'm so good. <laughs> good, good. I'm so good. Anyway, everyone knows what we do, so let's just <laughs> move on. Um, we do things. So things. So, so it's an exciting week for the Alberta Film Industry. Yeah. Because the Calgary Film Center... It's open enough. It's open for business. Finally. This Thursday. It's been 30 years coming. Yeah. I mean, when was film invented? <laughs> like 30 years ago. Yeah, but it's very good news. It's very exciting. Um, the naysayers have been thwarted. Hooray. The, the building is opening. And um, as part of that, we talked about it briefly. Was the last episode, I think? Uh, yeah. on, on the About the group that went down. To, to LA to say, hey, we've got this new studio and we're still a great place to shoot and we've got these great incentives. Uh, but, you know, that's uh, that's not, there are, there are always, uh, you know, two sides to every story. And I, I think I think some uh, would like to see some changes to the uh, Alberta Media Fund. Um, and that's fair. Um, and there was a, a great article written by Eric Vollmers uh, that I highly recommend you, you read and check out. Um, the headline to that article is uh, Film Industry Said Changes to Incentives Needed to Attract Bigger Budget Fare to Alberta. Um, and Eric always uh, covers the industry very well, and um, I highly recommend you checking that out and joining the conversation if you're interested. Yeah. So, so um, of course, being as neutral as possible to this, it's great that we have incentives mm-hmm. in the first place because Saskatchewan killed theirs mm-hmm. and killed the industry. Nova Scotia mm-hmm. killed theirs and killed the industry. Yep. So um, it cannot be stated enough how awesome having any incentives in the first place is. Mm-hmm. But what are the pain points right now for for producers anyway? What are producers saying? Like Chad Oaks has been very public about this the cap, right? The max mm-hmm. that you can mm-hmm. re- receive from the fund is $5 million. Right. And so he's, and he, he's, he's very open about going to shoot in BC. Right. So two because of, in some of these cases, right. it's just a better option. Right. And now there's a, a, a jurisdiction who's actually just pulled their funding back by 5%. Right. Um, and so I think there's uh, there's something to be said for, especially with the new film center opening, it might be worth uh, getting ourselves into a, a, a fund position where we're, we're just the best option in Canada, if right. not the world, if not North America. Right. Um, and, and, you know, getting investment especially now with with oil where it is um let's get in let's get buy-in and investment from from hollywood and from producers all over canada um to come in and shoot here and post here and uh and then we can kind of build the industry and then pull it back uh, right to just a kind of follow the bc model right because that studio's gotta work we've got to do everything we can i think to to make that even even just as a proof of concept it's yeah. gotta it's, it must be full mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm Right, so important to keep that busy. Yeah. Um, so that's my that's my opinion. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's like any sort of incentive program, right? Is to is to plant the seed and get mm-hmm. something kind of driving itself, uh, and then scale it back. But and I know that I, I think there are advocates for making it even better uh, in government, um, and that's great. But obviously, those are just a couple of people in government, and they have a whole other you know provincial budget to deal with, and and municipal budgets, and so uh, that's you know that's I think we have support, but obviously uh, they're going up against a lot of other financial needs that our society incurs. 
So, uh, I am uh, also going to recommend that you l- read another Eric Vollmer's article. He's he's covering our industry specifically lately a lot. He was at the uh, the Ampi Awards and, and live tweeting the awards. Um, and he's got another article all about uh, how uh, Young Drunk Punk has been canceled, but what's the possibility of doing a second season with another broadcaster or getting, getting some other uh, money involved to make it happen. So... Uh, Bruce McCullough and also um, uh, producer Jordy Randall at 724 Films uh, have some quotes in there. And so it's definitely worth a read. They're not giving up on it just yet. So that's exciting. Hopefully that finds a new home and and keeps going because it was a cool show, especially for Calgary. Yeah, definitely. It was was nice not to have something that hinged on the mountains. Totally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it was nice to have kind of that that sort of homegrown feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a gentleman in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. His name is Stephen. Yes, Stephen Ashworth. What is it? Yeah, I had a great long conversation with him. Right, uh, and we're going to share with you part two. Uh, but in case you didn't pick up on it, um, in part one, uh, Steve was a mentor of mine, an instructor of mine, a teacher of mine at Victoria School in Edmonton, uh, where I grew up, and uh, really the guy who made me decide, hey, I think I, I think I want to be a filmmaker. I think I want to make films uh, for a living. Um, which was, you know, at the at the time, a really foreign, crazy concept, and it still is. <laughs> but uh, but I think he he really made it uh, seem like uh, like it's a like it's a good bet and a, and a fulfilling one. And uh, and so yeah, it was a really cool conversation. Um, and it, and this second part, I'm excited to share w- uh, with everyone because it gets a little bit more personal. Um, he shares this amazing story about going to Woodstock. Uh, the very first Woodstock, and then yeah, it, I'll I'll just let you listen to it. But it, it's he's such a great storyteller, um, and uh, yeah, I think he he has some really good advice. Uh, listening through it again was was really good because he's uh, he's the consummate teacher. He uh, he really is. He he's been an an educator and an instructor all his life, and now he's teaching teachers at Nate. Uh, so education is really an important focus of of his, and I think he's got this. We talk about how he's got like a spider web of of people he's mentored, Matt Gillespie running Joe Media, and um, a lot of really cool people have come from uh, from his uh, education. So, um, yeah, here he is, uh, Stephen Ashworth, part two. So, uh, you you've you've since moved on from Victoria School of the Arts, uh, and now we're here in Edmonton, Alberta, inside the Nate campus. You're you are. I have your card here. You are currently the curriculum and instruction support uh, in the teaching services world at Nate. Um, and so Nate has a wonderful new program that's only been around for a couple of years that I think you you said you helped kind of uh, architect. Um, yeah, I, I, the way I would put it is um, the digital media program, I think at Nate has been around for quite a, a while. Mm-hmm. The uh, information technology portion of the curriculum, the computer side and the IT side has been around for a while. And relatively recently, um, I guess it would be, you know, five years plus, maybe six years, maybe seven years ago. So recently, institution-wise, the two departments combined um, just in a reorganization. Places like Nate and Sate reorganize themselves all the time. And so the two came together to create kind of one department. And so what I what I found interesting about that department is, so you've got the radio and television side. Students that go into radio and television tend to work for 
you know, institutions, radio stations or networks or, or nowadays you have ownership and they all, there'll be a whole, you have ownership groups that own whole series of radio stations across the country. Mm-hmm. And then, or you work with networks. It doesn't mean you can't work in independent television, but that tends to be, it's more the broadcast journalism type. Right. Now, as you and I know, on the SAIT side, you also have the film portion. So it's it's configured slightly differently and they each have their their focuses, their, their different uh, things that they focus on and strengths and weaknesses and all that. Mm. On the digital media side, the digital media and information technology program is nine separate streams one of which is video production. There's also website building. There's oh. also animation. Okay. There's also um, uh, computer networking. Wow. Um, so there, there's all, all different elements that a person can um, uh, uh, video game right. uh, design right. programming. Uh, and, and so the people that tend to go into that program – uh, it feels to me it's a little more entrepreneurial mm. so that the individual when they graduate can work for a production company you can work wherever you want but oftentimes that individual person will be a one man person who can maybe they start doing wedding videos or whatever sure, sure. but they're they're basically enough skills that they can be out there hustling work for themselves and or hmm. work in whatever area. So it's not so much broadcast journalism as independent right. video production. Sure. So I think that's the two different streams and s- students choose each stream based on whatever their interest right. is. Right. Yeah. So um, in terms of application, if, if you want me to um, ask myself the yeah. question, then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, I mean – Every, every program Nate is a little bit different. Some mm-hmm. programs are competitive. Some programs uh, operate on a first-come, first-serve basis. Um, most of them have uh, an academic credential. And then programs focus more on the academic or less on the academic, more on the practical experience, maybe on the interview. Every single program is kind of individually a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But um, um, I think with um, digital media, it's, um, I think, a student Probably uh, they look at a combination of factors. You know, I don't sit in on the um, the hiring or anything like that because I work on in the teaching side. Right, right. But I I I did get a chance to be involved with the curriculum design five years ago. It was one of the first things I did when I came here. So I got to just sit down with the instructors, and the process is really as a uh, teaching and learning specialist. I come into a program. And we sort of take a bit of a blank slate and we say to ourselves, we bring industry into the room, the people who hire the graduates, and we sit around a table. It's a five-day process. And we ask ourselves, what are we doing right? And what Mm. can we improve on? Mm. The instructors hear what industry says. Industry listens to the instructors. Then they go away. And for days two through five of the process, I, as a facilitator, um, work on behalf of both parties to say, uh, I noticed industry said this. How do you feel about that? Right, right. How does this work? How does this course outcome? And then into the real nitty gritty of uh, teaching and learning outcomes, which we won't get into today. Right, but right. basically, so I was, um, I wouldn't say, I, I didn't design it, but I facilitated and, and had the opportunity to watch the program build uh, the way they deliver it today gotcha. and contribute to it in whatever way I was able to sure, contribute sure. to it. So cool. it was exciting for me. 
and they uh, they also got a, a free bonus in the sense that they didn't know my background. They assume right. I'm just <laughs> right. this Nate guy, right. but I just happened to have taught film for <laughs> 20 years, and I just happened to have you know had a bit of a film background. Right. But this program is wider than just film. It's mm. other things, mm. and so I have to look at it holistically. For sure. So I, I, I would say that I had an opportunity to have a front row seat as well as a, a voice in the room sure. to contribute to it. Okay. So that was exciting. Cool. It is exciting. And I, and I, you know, as much as I love SAIT and, and highly recommend the program, if this program had existed when I was looking at schools, I, I may never have been in Calgary. I may never, you know, I may be living in Edmonton right now. It's, a, it's an interesting change because I was looking for something a little more cinematic, a little more storytelling, not news or sports or, or journalism or something like that. But, and so Sade offered a, a bit more of a cinematic program. And now this program looks amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to maybe talk to a, a student who's been through it and uh, get yeah. them on the show as well. But uh, so so what what's happening now with you as a writer, a screenwriter? You know, you, you've actually been gar- garnered yourself a number of nominations, AMPIA nominations, and won some screenwriting competitions and things. So what's happening with you as a writer? So uh, this leads to, of course, I don't have enough education, so I thought <laughs> I would get a little bit more. Uh-huh. And here's uh, the irony. I remember the first day. No, I just made that one up. <laughs> just made that one up. Make sure we're listening. All those people from part one who this are still hanging in day. there. Come on now. Yeah, this is all about day two. Right. Hello, day one. That was, I think, yesterday. Come on, last That's podcast. part one. <laughs> but um, I, a real irony for me was when I left Victoria School, I definitely kind of mourned the loss of it. And I've mm. been here, uh, Just I'm just coming up five years here at Nate. Yeah. But I... Um, and I chose to apply for a job here, got a job here, and I, and I enjoy the position that I have for mm. sure. But I, I definitely miss uh, Victoria School. And I would say, I, 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 I have been saying that it, it took me the whole year of my first year to get over it. Mm. But I would say that's probably not true. It probably took me a couple of years. And now, I, if I'm really honest, it's, it's still part of you. You don't ever right. leave Vic. Right. And because I was making films and teaching filmmaking, and it was my dream job, and like I said, I, I chose to move on just because I, I felt the opportunity would be interesting mm-hmm. for me as an educator, and, and the opportunity to then ultimately allow Victoria School grads to maybe come to Nate, and right. maybe I could be involved in yeah. radio, TV, digital media, whatever. Sure. One never knows right. you know, until you get into an institution. But um, I, I still definitely miss it. I still hear from students all the time. I do get to go back to, I go back to Victoria School to give out a scholarship in huh. my name that was what given to me. Um, I had a, a, someone endowed a scholarship um, when I was working on a couple of projects because a couple of students who who were um, involved in the project, a couple of graduates, David Kelso and Justin Brunell. Yeah. And, and, you know, David did uh, his version of True Meaning of Girls, yeah. and yeah. actually Justin did his version of Samantha Says. Oh. So the joke around the place was always, well, find an old script that Ashworth shot 10 years ago and grab <laughs> it and shoot that. Right. And, but then it wasn't a joke. They literally started doing that. Right. But that's exciting for me to yeah, see yeah. my student reinterpret something because they never saw the original. Right. So they weren't tainted. Oh, they okay. were looking at the paper. Oh, really? We didn't really allow that. And why should we? Right. Why Why not allow them their take? Yes. Yeah. And um, and it was interesting. There's lots of things that those kids did. You're talking high school kids, yeah, too. I was yeah. an adult. Lots of things about their versions that I truly, like, authentically felt 
were uh, improved versions of what I did my, right. in my own. And and I feel the same way. Like even, like I go back occasionally to to schools. And we, you know, Scott and I get asked to to run a little workshop or a, a career study. And and you know, because of technology and the internet and YouTube, like there's an advancement level that that they they just start at a at a better place than we you could have or I could have. It's amazing how fast that happens. Yeah, and it's. Uh... So anyway, this this uh, business person, Larry Anderson, um, asked me if, if if I could recommend a student, and I recommended a student. Then he asked me for another one. I recommended another one, wow. and then basically behind my back, they decided that they wanted to, um, um, you know, give back to the Victoria School Foundation. You know, it's a million dollar endowment, almost two million dollars now, wow. and so. They created this scholarship in my name. I remember they hauled me in one day and said, uh, so we're doing this scholarship. It's in your name. We're not asking you permission. We're just letting you know. Thanks for coming. <laughs> wow. So I said, cool. And so I've given it out for three years. Wow. And, uh, and uh, three years. This will be my fourth year coming up in uh, and about three weeks. I go back wow. during the awards ceremony in June. That's awesome. And, and what was also lovely about it was the first year that I gave it away because I, I'd left Vic by then. I, um, the first recipient, uh, Dominique Smith was actually one of my students cause it was so recent. Right, right, right. And then the second Amazing. recipient, Laura Kremer was also one of my students. Nice. And then the third student that I gave last year, Michael Keith, um, I thought, okay, now I'm finally getting a student that I didn't have. But mm. then I remembered he actually was in my junior high video class. <laughs> so all wow. of the students so far, wow. because, um, I'm still recently out of there. I think we've they've washed out now. But then I did a, I did a, um, a a, a, um, a video slash theater piece um, um, that um, was called the Garden Swing that ended up being a TV pilot that I shot with uh, Joe Media Whoa. in my last year, and so that was a kindergarten to grade twelve project. I always wanted to do a project to say. We're a K to twelve school. And we don't do K to twelve projects, right, and they right. would say, "Well, of course we do. We do arts. We have the arts season. We do K to 12. I said, "No, no. I'm talking about one project that has everybody from K to twelve. Right, oh, right. okay. And anyway, I did the garden swing, and huh. Matt Gillespie was involved in that. Wow. And, and um, so anyway, I do have children that were in that that were in kindergarten. So ah. I still have students <laughs> right, right. who. I may look at them and not recognize them because they were five Very and now yeah. they're 10. Right. But, you know, they worked on this whole massive Amazing. video slash music. It wasn't a musical, but it was a theater piece. It was right. a kind of a performance piece huh. uh, with an environmental science component. It was right. the last big thing I did at Vic. Wow. And um, so, so they are still around. Right. And what I really love about the committee is my former colleagues, Greg Dollar Coltman, Tammy Dollar Coltman, and the mm -hmm. other instructors that I that I taught with, they are aware of this. And so when the applications come in for scholarships, ah. so I'm just one scholarship of many. Right. But they do try and skew it towards video production of course. course. As a and so when they if they see my name on the resume that this student actually did a video or a right. film or with me back whenever, <laughs> yeah. then they will do their best because they know that that'll of course touch me in a of way course. that because that's a real that's, that's a student yeah, sure. so so far that's what we've got huh. but um but that's that's what's lovely about that right that there's there's a there's a wonderful connection that kind of goes back to that school and yeah. uh, um so so anyway uh, connected to that is 
when I came to Nate, I started to look at maybe a master's program to answer your question. Mm-hmm. And I was here a couple of years. Actually, I remember the first day I came to Nate. Oh, no, it was the second day. <laughs> Part two. And I remember thinking, this is a cool job, but I got to get out. Not get out of the job, <laughs> but I need something more. Right. So anyway, I, I applied for um, a master of fine arts program. When I was in AFI, AFI was an MFA program. Okay. And it's a two-year MFA, but I only did one year of it. Ah. So rather than go back just because of the cost of tuition in American dollars, right. I just took one year of it, mm-hmm. you know, did my year, and then came back to Canada and decided at that point, I'm going to take the rest of the money and I'll just make my next series of films. Sure. So, um, so I didn't complete the MFA, but of course I got the training out of it. And then... Um, I started thinking about I want to do another MFA, and I researched it, and then I happened across a, a brand new MFA program in New Hampshire. Uh, I think I read about it in Script Magazine, which is an LA um, screenwriting magazine. Yeah, and they were advertising a low residency Master of Fine Arts in New Hampshire, and I researched it, and it's in Peterborough, New Hampshire, <laughs> not Peterborough, Ontario, huh. and Peterborough, New Hampshire is the town that Thornton Wilder based his play Our Town on. Oh, So there's a wow. whole It's culture. our town. It is our town, <laughs> That's literally. And huh. it's this beautiful little, you know, you get on the website and Holy. you go, oh, my goodness, why wouldn't I want to study in our yeah. town? So anyway, I applied. And essentially, um, with a low residency, this program, all of them are different, but uh, and I researched a bunch, but this one said I could go the last 10 days of June and the first 10 days of January for two years, so three Junes, mm-hmm. two Januaries, mm-hmm. 50 days, and the rest of it's done online through a mentor. Wow. And they do staged readings of your pieces. Oh. So, and you change mentors every semester. Oh, my God, that sounds awesome. And, uh, and it takes me a year to write a screenplay. I mean, you know, sure. but I had to write four in two years. Whoa. So it, they really pushed us. Yeah. So I thought, so then I went to my boss here and said, is there any way that I could... Um, you know, do this master's. And they, I remember them saying the key question, what has this got to do with your current job? Right. And I foolishly said, nothing. That's why I want to do it. <laughs> I wish I was making this up. And they said, you're not doing a very good job to convince me that you, I should allow you to do this. Right. Oh, well, okay, let me think of another answer. <laughs> then later on, they came back and said, here's the reason why you're doing the master's. Sign it. Ah. And yes, I approve. <laughs> And walked out and slammed the door, right? right? right, right. So anyway, I, uh, I I applied and got in, and uh, I was, uh, so, but it was a brand new, the, the program itself is 100 years old at the bachelor's level, okay. but they were just starting a new master's uh, program. Okay. And the advice you always get is, you know, take, take USCLA's program, take USC's, uh, AFI, I've done that. So, yeah. but go to a program in LA um, uh, because because they have a, a track record, they've right. been around a long right. time. But I, I, I also felt like a, 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 as a risk taker, I wanted to do something new. I wanted to actually shape a program, mm. and I'm okay with it being a little rough around the edges. And probably once I'm done, they'll do it on my corpse and they'll improve it, <laughs> and and it'll get better. And I'll say, why didn't you do that when I was there? But right. I was okay with that. Right. And also, I felt like as a as a teacher. I could probably be a bit of a mentor as well as a mm-hmm, student. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they accepted me because they knew they were getting kind of free faculty out right, of me. Right. Anyway, the Master of Fine Arts degree was in writing for stage and screen. Ah, perfect. So here's the course, as you know, that I taught at Victoria School for 11 years. Yeah. 
the master's degree that I could have used to teach that course, <laughs> I would not have been allowed to take while I'm teaching at Vic because you can't leave in June and right. January because that's exam time. Right, right. So the so I think, and maybe I'm justifying it, I'm trying to sell myself, <laughs> and I still feel guilty about leaving Vic, but I could not have taken that master's degree if I'd still been teaching at Vic right. because at Nate I have a little more flexibility of schedule because gotcha. I'm teaching instructors. Sure. So anyway, I did it for two years. I started in June of 2013. I graduated last June. So only three of us, actually, they take eight a year. And when I started, they only took three of us, one L.A. writer, one New York writer, and myself from Canada. Wow. And so I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to be among the first three graduates of the program. Huh. The second group of graduates graduated just January of, of this year, and the, the third group are graduating in another month in June. Wow. And so, um, so that MFA has started me down the road of kind of rethinking my writing career, which also segues into your question. Yeah, yeah. So now what I'm doing now is, because I was writing for stage and screen, and because I wrote uh, a couple screenplays and a couple stage plays, I started to um, think about how much I loved writing plays. Mm. And, and my, my, my career arc was, I started basically as a writing poetry when I was in university, and then I moved into writing plays and musicals, and then I moved into writing screenplays, and once I got into screenplays, I never wrote anything else. Mm. I never wrote fiction. Right. I always wrote dramatic stuff. Hmm. Um, so, um, when I did the degree in writing for stage and screen, most of the master's programs out there are screenwriting masters, dramatic writing, playwriting. There's a few stage and screen, but not that many. Mm -hmm. So then I started to think about, you know, what did I learn from this program? And is there, is there a message in there that I could take? And so anyway, I started this concept of, why don't we take stage plays, find stage plays, get the rights to stage plays, hire actors, get a theater to run that stage play, allow an audience to have feedback after the run, go take that feedback away, and then my job would be to adapt that stage play into a screenplay, and then a year later come back, shoot the screenplay, but use the same cast that was in the ah. play. Every Anybody can adapt a, a stage play into a film. Sure. People do it all the time. Sure. But then it, I just thought... Now I'm taking advantage of the shared memory mm. of the cast right. who spent all of those nights and their memory would be of, of the rehearsal, of the applause, of the tears, whatever it is. And surely I, as a filmmaker, a low-budget, no-budget, independent filmmaker, could maybe get a performance out of that actor that I couldn't get because I don't have the money to hire that professional right, actor. Right. So that was the dream. Interesting. So I pitched that. The, as soon as I graduated from from my my MFA last June, the next day, maybe it was two days later, <laughs> but I'm, shh, where's our drummer? Oh, he had to leave. Um, I, I asked for the rights to a stage play from one of my faculty members. She gave me the rights. And then I, I've been since working on adapting that into a screenplay. Oh, cool. And I, I did, I couldn't get a theater to pick it up, but I did a staged reading of that play in New York um, a couple of months ago, uh, mm. six weeks ago. And we went down and we did it in a, in a, in a place called the Players Club, which is a, um, a social club for actors, most theater actors and, and, and film actors. Like it has a, a really long pedigree. It was started by Edwin Booth, who unfortunately was the brother of John Wilkes Booth, <laughs> who unfortunately assassinated Abraham Lincoln. But he was a well-known Shakespearean actor mm. in his day, and he 
he turned his home into a social club. And the one actress who I wanted to do this, who was also the casting director in the MFA, uh, I said, I need you to be in this play. And the play was about the relationship between Anton Chekhov and Konstantin Stanislavski. So oh. the two most influential theater people probably in theater history. Right. So I want to make a film version of that. And another thing is, um, maybe our listeners would know, but uh, uh, Ben Wheelwright is an actor who's a graduate of Victoria School who's currently on Broadway in a play called The Curious, the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which won a Tony Award last Whoa. year. And when the lead actor was replaced after he won the Tony, Ben Wheelwright from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, who went through the program a couple of years after you graduated, uh, was in England and got a chance to audition among a thousand actors and is now playing the lead on Whoa. Broadway, and he's a Vic grad. That's insane. So I asked him to say, is there any way you could come in uh, uh, on your dark night and be part of this reading I'm doing? Because when I turned it into a film, uh, I think... I'm hoping I could use him and it would help me with the fundraising because right. he's now a Broadway actor from Edmonton. Totally, totally. So anyway, he was able to get himself free and he came that night and he was part of it as well. Wow. So anyway, right now I'm in the middle. My, my big dream vision um, focus now is I'm taking theater pieces and, and trying to turn them into low-budget, no-budget films cool. along, along that idea. That's awesome. So yeah, that's my thing now. So, so tell me more about this. So you're still in the, in the writing phase or the, or the adapting phase. You've done some readings. And, and what's the plan afterwards to yeah. try to find some money for it? Yeah. So where I'm at now is um, um, I'm negotiating like with the um, author. I went down and did the reading. We found a little theater after the reading that's in another part. It's in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, uh, that um, we, we want to consider that we might possibly shoot there. Um, we also had an article... Uh, uh, Greenwich Village, a publisher in Greenwich Village came to my reading and did a whole article about, about um, had an article published about all of the Chekhov revivals that are going on, this being one of them. Ah, okay. And so then we did a nice article, got a nice photo. Nice. And um, so I'm going to use that to help me kind of promote it as well. Amazing, yeah. And um, yeah, and so I, th I think that really probably... Uh, so I'm in the middle of the rewrite now or the adaptation. And then I think, I, th I think the approach has to be, I'll apply for AFA grant. Mm -hmm. I'll do a little bit of Kickstarter and sure. I'll do a little bit of my own private investment pool. Okay. I'll, I'll touch a little bit, all of them. Yeah. And I think my goal is I want to try and do features that I can, I can do for, you know, kind of less than 25 grand. I think yeah. that's yeah. an amount of money that I can realistically raise mm -hmm. beyond that um i i can't access that easily none right. of us can no and then and that's the other reason for the podcast right that's the nature of what you got you and scott are doing mm -hmm. you know find a way totally that there's more than one way and and the other thing is that you know i i have had my times when i've waited for money i have had it's not that i've done just school projects i've yeah. done i've done like you i've i've tried it all for sure and um and I've just always found whenever I waited and said, I'm going to wait a year and try and raise more money. And when the money didn't come, I always felt like, you know what? Why didn't I go ahead and shoot it? Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that's the right approach, but I'm But saying, sometimes it is, yeah. Yeah, and every project's different. Yeah. But I think now my, my focus moving forward is um, um, do plays. And even on this uh, 
play called to Moscow, the, the Chekhov uh, Stanislavski thing, really the idea was I would, uh, I would run it at the fringe. Uh-huh. The beauty of the fringe is if you get in and you make the lottery, then you just do it and you split the proceeds and everybody's in for, for the experience. And, and if you, and, if, yeah. if you've got a little popularity, you can make a little bit of money at, at the front. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can make a little, a little money, but yeah. it's also free audience feedback. Right. You get to have, usually you're going to get six to eight shows. And so I think moving forward, one of the models I'm looking at, um, is to get a hold of plays, put together a cast, do them at the Edmonton fringe let that be my theater venue mm. because I'm not really making plays as I'm sure you figured right. out. Right. It's really almost like instead of doing a treatment and then a draft, I'm doing a stage play version, audience feedback, and then going and writing. So it's a, You're a road to it's the screen. It's a long workshop of a screen. That's play. what it is. <laughs> yeah, cool. And the other thing that I said, and I said this to the audience who came in New York, I said, the reason why I originally thought this might be a good idea is if I was an audience member and you came to me, you know, because you build up subscribers, every theater has its own personality, its culture, right. its character. Yeah. Every, char- every small theater tries to create its own unique identity. I think there's a place in this world for a theater, for, for audience members to come and, and see plays that are on the road to being films. To me, it's a variation uh, on yeah. Kickstarter. Okay, okay. In the so same way, yeah, and same way, yeah, it's, it, Kickstarter, you're pre-buying, you're I throwing it, in yeah. your $10. This is even better. You are actually sitting in on the developmental process mm. and you're giving me your feedback and I'm taking notes and I'm recording it night after night. And when I come in, and then I'm going to invite you back a year from now to be part of the film premiere right so they're not really a theater audience <laughs> they're a theater audience that also participates in the developmental mm-hmm. process and returns for the film version and they get to say oh i knew about this film long ago that's cool. they did that's cool and i think it also the big thing for me is it it honors theater actors it shows respect and we all know in film you bring them in you shoot it out of sequence you know, I, I hear stories all the time about two actors who come to the opening night. They're even in the same scene and they never met because they, <laughs> they shot the master this yeah, way. Yeah. And in the afternoon, yeah. while you're off doing commercials, they sh- you know, For sure. that's a little absurd. But happens, though, yeah. very clearly, if you're in a film and you're not in the same scenes, you're shot on a different day. You yeah. don't meet one another. Yeah. Television's like that, For too. For sure. And right? I, I just watched The Jungle Book last night, oddly enough. And that that kid, I mean, I don't know how they did it, but there were some big stars in it, right? like Bill Murray, of course. It's possible that they shot that without the kid ever meeting Bill Murray or any of the co-stars, the big names that he was acting against. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the world now, yeah. Totally. So, yeah. Uh, Okay, there's I mean there's a lot of stuff I want to I want to talk about but I'm going to get a little in, indulgent right now. And while it may not be very film related, you you have this amazing story that I haven't heard in years about attending the very first Woodstock. <laughs> and I just need to get that on the podcast. I have to. <laughs> awesome. Here's the irony of that. The irony of that is um, when I, when I uh, did my master's degree, the first script I wrote was, um, about my experience teaching in Cuba, which I got a chance to do ah. because of Nate. Right. And, um, the second script I wrote was about me going to Woodstock, Ah. but the script didn't turn out to be about me, but obviously it was inspired by sure. my experience. Sure. Okay. But, All right. So it is film related. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so good for you for intuiting that. <laughs> 
in this part two of our extended podcast. There you go. So uh, the Woodstock story, based, and by the way, Matthew Gillespie, uh, president and CEO of Joe Media, has always said, you got to turn this into a film, man. <laughs> so, right. Which I happen to have a script version of go. it now, so I'm pitching Matt on that. But <laughs> anyway, um, so when I um, was in university back in Ontario, um, I was working uh, between my second and third year of university at a butcher shop. Why is that relevant? <laughs> because the detail, anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, so uh, a friend of mine came to me and he used to read this political magazine called Ramparts Magazine. Okay. And Ramparts Magazine was, was, a, was a, uh, a politically controversial magazine back in the day, in the 60s. And okay. he said, there's this festival going on with all of these interesting uh, musicians. And the other thing I find is, because as you know, I've told this story once or twice to my students. Um, and uh, I've timed it so I can use up the full 80 minutes Perfect. of a class get it, you know, and just bring it to a close before the bell, right? As you know, I've rehearsed it like a, an extended stand-up. Totally, totally. But um, one of the things I always say to them is, because they always say to me, oh, man, if I was there when you were, if I was your age and I was there with you, I would have gone to Woodstock. And I always say, not necessarily, because mm. you got to remember Woodstock wasn't Woodstock before Woodstock. Right. Because Just like it Coachella hadn't... wasn't wasn't Coachella, you know, it took a long time for that to grow. Yeah, yeah, you don't know, right? Yeah. It, it 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 was just one of those magic things that you couldn't predict or 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 recreate. Yeah. So anyway, um, so he he hauled out this magazine and he said, "Take a look at the artist." And so it was spread over three days. So it was August um, 13, 14, 15, uh, nineteen sixty nine. Friday to Sunday. And um, so anyway, I looked at it, and the Friday night seemed to have um, um, folk artists, mm -hmm. and then the Saturday and the Sunday seemed to have rockers. So The Who were there, mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix, Joe Cocker, Country Joe and the Fish, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. It was their second concert ever. They played, they played one concert two nights prior they just got together because they were, you know, Buffalo Springfield and uh, Graham Nash was, um, yeah, they came from different groups. Neil Young uh, got involved. And um, wow. so they'd played two nights prior. I think it was in Chicago. Again, found this out later. And then when they came to Woodstock, it was the second time they played in front of a live audience, <laughs> 500,000 people. So anyway, wow. so that was the deal. So uh, I looked at it and we said, yeah, yeah, let's go to that. And so I said, why don't we give ourselves a little break? We'll continue working before we go back to university. We'll cough up the cash and send it in and we'll go. So the irony is, even though no one paid for Woodstock, we did <laughs> because we didn't know it was going to be Woodstock. And what are we going to drive down to New York and then say, Oh, you don't have a ticket. Go back to Canada. Yeah, good luck. No. How do we know? <laughs> so anyway, um, even though the screenplay I wrote about it, um, is fictional because there wasn't enough conflict in it. So right. I created a story that had nothing to do with it. Sure. There were two or three scenes in the screenplay that were almost verbatim. Okay. So as I hope we've learned on the podcast, I remember the dialogue, like it was yesterday, I remember. I mean, that's what I would hope a screenwriter or playwright should be able to do something like that. Right. So anyway, we said, okay, let's go. And so I asked my dad, could we use a car? And I actually, I took four other guys with me. I'm sorry, there's no women in this story. So I put a bunch in of my course. screenplay. Of course, are you kidding me? You know, 
And also students used to say to me, my wife always says that to me. And I, this literally came up a week ago uh, when they were saying, Steve always claims he didn't do drugs, he didn't drink, he didn't do any of that down at Woodstock. So I'm not going to try and tell you on a podcast that I didn't. I didn't, but that's immaterial. Okay. I think there's a reason why I can remember it and others can't. Ah, I'll, yes. I'll just leave it at that. There you go. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so anyway, for me, it was the experience. It was the music, and that's just one of those things, uh, you know, just kind of the way I was as a kid. So um, I asked my dad if I could borrow the car, and it was a 1965 Plymouth Fury II, dark blue on the top, white on the bottom, and I was the driver, and I drove it down, and these four guys went with me. And so so we're driving down. So I mean, I grew up in London, Ontario. So Woodstock would be, I think it's 400, 500 miles. It's in upstate New York. Right. Woodstock didn't take place at Woodstock. It was supposed to because that's where Bob Dylan made music from Big Pink. Uh. Woodstock actually had to be moved to a place called White Lake. Huh. And um, so that's actually where it ended up ultimately. So Yasger's Farm and the song by Joni Mitchell and all that. This is where it, it took place. Huh. So anyway, I come to the border, and this is unique because obviously all these people who went had their own journey. This was because this isn't a Woodstock story. This is a bunch of Canadian students, Canadian kids coming from Ontario, crossing the border and going to Woodstock. Ah, so yeah. that's a little different, right? Yeah, but everybody came from wherever they came from. Right, right. Um, so anyway, I come to the border. Oh yeah, we're we're driving the car, and we hear over the radio that. Um, there's a Woodstock, there's a music festival uh, and arts festival is what it was originally billed as. Music and arts uh, experience or festival or mm-hmm. something. So it was supposed to be art as well as music. Sure. Going on in a little town in upstate New York, and there's all this looting and pillaging, and they were prepared for 5,000 people, and there's 25,000 people there. <laughs> and so it's like a radio, you know, just listening to the news on the way down. Yeah. And as we got closer and closer to the border, the, the, the cast, the, the, the reports kept saying, oh, there's 50,000, there's 75,000. And so we go, oh, this is interesting. And at the time, we were going, cool, yeah, awesome, yeah. right? Yeah. So then I come to the border stop, and they wouldn't let us across. Oh, no. And uh, I'm not 100% sure on this, but for sure, the beauty of Ontario is there's 100 places to cross the right, border. Right. So I, I, I think the first place I, I chose was Buffalo and I think the second place I had to go to was Niagara Falls, and the third place I think was Niagara on the Lake. Because you said we're going here, and they knew it was it was crazy already. Well, and didn't yeah, want more people yeah. There. So what they did was, and nowadays maybe they can still do it, they blocked the border because instead of five thousand people coming by then, there was a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, <laughs> three hundred thousand, and um, uh, and so they wouldn't let us across. They just shut it down. So I go to the second border, same thing. So then I said to the other guys, we're going again. They kept saying, oh, let's give it up. Forget it, man. Man. It was all man then, right? Come on, man. Give it up. And I said, I am not about to, you know, it's like Ferris Bueller's day off. I'm not about to let that guy prevent me like the restaurant scene when when he comes in there. So I went to the third border stop and I said to everybody, let me do the talking because it was my car I was driving. I come to the border. I'm pretty sure this is word for word, if not humor me it was a right. few years ago sure. i come up to the border stop and the guy pulls us over he looks in the car five long-haired hippies <laughs> where are you guys going um sir i'm just uh, we're crossing the border i'm gonna visit my aunt in cincinnati <laughs> looks me looks at the guys you're going to see your aunt in cincinnati yep you're bringing your four buddies with you <laughs> yes i am um awesome so um 
you guys aren't uh, heading to the Woodstock Pop Festival, are you? I told him, don't make eye contact. Look straight ahead. Let me handle it. Uh, no, I'm not. And they said, awesome. Um, why don't you step out of the car? Oh, no. <laughs> he goes around to the far side of the car. He looks in the car. It was a, not a convertible, but the windows are rolled down. He walks around the car. He looks at it in the back seat, comes around. So, Because it's three guys in the back, one in the passenger side, myself as the driver. Comes around the other side, leans in because all the windows are down, opens the glove compartment, uh-huh. pulls an envelope from the glove compartment, opens the envelope. I've got all the tickets to Woodstock. <laughs> he pulls oh, them no. open and holds it up and says... So you know, I, it's all camera angles to me now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and goes, what are these? <laughs> okay. And I, I honestly, God, I remember this to this day. Everybody in the car looks at me, looks at him and looks straight ahead. <laughs> you want to do the talking? Do the talking. Uh, like they yeah. look so guilty, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. they were. And so I look at him. I kind of look at them and I say, you know what? I'll be straight with you, officer. We were planning to go to Woodstock and, um, we we wanted to go to the festival, but as we were coming down, we'd heard that there's a lot of looting and pillaging going on. <laughs> and we thought, well, we don't want to be a part of that mm. because we're upstanding uh, young men. But you know what? We've come this far. Why don't I just go visit my aunt in Cincinnati? <laughs> why I can remember it was Cincinnati. Why I said in Cincinnati. Why you would cross the Ontario border when Ohio is, I don't know. It just came out of my mouth, uh, right? You say what you say. Right. And so then this is the truth. He looks at me and says, you know what? I, I believe it. So if you're not going to Woodstock, I guess you won't be needing oh, these. Oh, no. They look at me. They look at him. They look straight ahead. <laughs> he walks around behind the car. It's so slow. Like it took, you know, maybe I exaggerated, but it was three hours. Cars lined up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. lined up, yeah. you know, because they're all going to Woodstock. Right. Comes back to the driver's seat. Then he leans down puts his elbows next to me and says, um, <clears throat> you know what? Um, he hands me the tickets back to me and says, say hello to your aunt for me. <laughs> Amazing. And lets me go. <laughs> and I remember driving wow. and looking in the rear view mirror and gunning it. And they're all going, <laughs> so the guy just cut oh me God. some slack. Amazing. That is a fact. <laughs> And so, so really, ultimately, I'll shorten it down, but yeah. I went to the festival, but our experience at the Woodstock Festival was not the festival. It was the journey getting to right. the festival. Right. And the second story I remember, totally true. Hopefully the bloggers are still awake. I, <laughs> I, I think they have to be. This is a true story. There you go. So we drive down and we're, we're coming across upstate New York and the cars are going by, the cars are going by. And the other thing about it is, Nobody knows where Woodstock is mm. because Woodstock wasn't Woodstock. So, yeah, we have maps. Remember, it's not GPS. There's no, no cell phones. No, of there's nothing. There's just maps. There's no Twitter account to be like, oh, we moved yeah. to the location. Yeah. yeah, and obviously that's the whole problem behind it. And we don't really truly know where it's set up because it's on a farmer's piece of land. Right. Yeah, you got directions, but now it's changed. Right. So then this is so clear. I, I've never forgotten this. I'm driving along. Cars are going by. And then all of a sudden, cars in the other side stop going by mm. it's weird it's like a horror film cars behind me it's almost like i remember hearing the crickets and i remember hearing the birds because <laughs> you're in new york there's five trillion people yeah. everywhere in new yeah. york even yeah. upstate new york sure. although it's a, it's rural you know it's hills they go up and down yeah. it's really a beautiful part of upstate new york is beautiful so i'm driving and driving and i do remember thinking this is weird this is weird and then i come up over the top of a hill 
and bam, it's a parking lot. It's car, it's the inland, because all this grassed area in the inland. So cars all stopped over here, cars uh, in the grass here, cars on the infield, cars jammed up here. It's, it's, you can't even see the land, it's just vehicles. <laughs> and, and the reason they're stopped is we've come to the interchange, the exit, and then you still got to go down a little country road, right, but we still right. don't know how, we know nothing. Nobody right. knows anything. <laughs> so then we're stopped. And so um, we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, I think I went in on the inland. They kept saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And I, it's my car, it's my car, it's my car. And finally, <laughs> this was hours and hours. I finally got to the road where the exit was. Then I drove down the exit as far as I could go. And then we drove and drove and drove. This is literally the whole first day. Actually, you know what it was? Woodstock was three days. Uh, I, we were only taking two days off work because I couldn't take three. Uh, so I, I bought tickets for the Saturday and the Sunday. Okay, gotcha. So this was Saturday. Right. So I got down, didn't get anywhere, came back. We finally parked the car in the ditch. And here we are literally on the second day, first day for us, and we're still not even at the festival. <laughs> we aren't, you know. Oh, no. So I've never tried to tell people that I sat through 21 bands. Right. I went to Woodstock. Right. I never said I saw any music. <laughs> right. I did, but that's... It happened the, yeah. eventually. Well, yeah, it did, but it's the journey. <laughs> right. So anyway, I parked it in the ditch, and then I remember, so then they say, oh, let's give up. I don't know what was with those guys, but they always wanted to give up, and my character was, I'm not about to let that guy... Oh, that's Ferris Bueller. <laughs> we're walking. Rudy's we don't, got your tickets. Yeah, we don't even know how far. And I said, if you guys want to stay here, fine. I need to find out. So I'm walking along, and I'm walking along. True, I put this in the screenplay. You come up to the first guy, and I go, so where's Woodstock? You know, it's all hippies everywhere, right? Yeah. Where's yeah. Woodstock? Oh, man, Woodstock, it's down this road. It's 100 miles. You're <laughs> never going to get there. You're never going to get there, man. Give it up. And he's, he's smoking weed. And he's, right. Then I come to the next hippie, you know, 10 yards down the road, 20 yards down the road. You guys know where the, the site is? Where's Woodstock? It's just over the hill, man. It's just over the hill. <laughs> just it's just, you're, it, right it, you're about 100 yards. <laughs> ah, I've been there. And I come back. You were there, but you chose to come back and not stay <laughs> to the greatest festival. And you left on your own volition. Well, anyway, I've been there. And I, I know people who've been there. And it's just up the hill here. Keep going. <laughs> Then I come to the third person and they go, it's not even on this road, man. It's on the next. So it's literally cry wolf, right? Uh, it's like every story, you're talking hippies, right? Yeah, and yeah. of course they don't know because if they were there, I wouldn't be talking right, to them. So right. why am I even asking them? <laughs> so anyway, that I remember that and that's totally true. Everybody had a different story. Mm. So we walked, I think we must've walked two or three miles and then we did give up. We walked all the way, then oh, we had no. to walk all the way back oh, to the no. car and we slept in the car. Oh. Here's the third thing I remember, totally true. So we're asleep. So now where do we sleep? So uh, uh, one guy slept in the trunk. <laughs> one guy slept in the back seat. One guy slept in the front seat. One guy slept on the hood. Oh and God. one guy slept on the, the, the engine. On oh the front. Because it's summer. It was warm. Sure. They had blankets, whatever. Wow. So anyway, so then I wake up the next day. Now we're Sunday already, right? Yeah, yeah. We wake up. And I remember, this is true, a couple of hippies walking along, totally wasted. I don't know why they're wasted it. 4 a.m. or 7 a.m., but, yeah. well, I guess I do. And they're walking along. Truly, this was the conversation. Two hippies walking along. The first hippie says, went in the screenplay, hey, man, there's a guy sleeping on the trunk of that car. Yeah, yeah. And the other guy, he's totally sober, right? Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. And then he keeps walking. Going, no, man, look, there's also a guy sleeping in the back seat. So he's asleep. He's asleep in the car. You know, big things. Right? For hippies, everything's big. Yeah. And then he goes, that's all right. He's, There's people sleeping all over the car.
car. They're on the hood. And that's what woke me up. Right. Like, what is this? What is this? And so then they kept walking. So I woke up and I look around. And up till then, the reason I had to walk is the highway was a parking lot. So the main highway, but right. this was the side highway, all full of cars. Right. Nobody, you couldn't move. It was gridlock, rural gridlock. Right. So then, uh, but when I woke up Sunday morning, there's no cars. They're gone because through the night, you know, they'd what? moved, they'd parked. Right. So then I wake up and I remember opening the door and saying, guys, wake up, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're going to drive down the highway, let's go. And I don't remember why, but I remember I closed the door, I turned the ignition on, I pull out of my parking lot on the rear road. And I don't know why I remember, but I remember trying to drive quietly. <laughs> how, how the heck does one drive quietly? But I do remember it's kind of like, yeah, I'm driving don't slowly. Wake anyone else yeah, yeah. Well, totally. <laughs> so I'm just doing five, ten kilometers yeah. an hour. But but as I'm driving or miles back then, people start waking up, right? <laughs> of course they do. They hear a car. Well, so on this car, we're engineering. You're talking twenty thousand people just in this area. <laughs> so of course, what do I do? Gun it, right? Because uh, the motorcycles, people. What's going on? What's going on? They're all waking up because they sleep in. They're hippies. They don't right, get up right. early. And I remember flying down the road for probably five or ten minutes. Till finally I run into another gridlock because obviously people along the way are doing the right. same thing. So I drove some more. Now I'm another five, six, ten miles in. Finally I had to pull off to the side of the road again, lock up the car. I said, we're going to walk. We're going to find it. And then I walked, finally walked, finally up the hill. Did we find it? Then you see. And I know in the movie, I did see the movie later, but by the time I got there, there was nothing left, right? The fences had been walked over. Uh -huh. The green fields that you see in the film w was just a mud bath. Yeah, yeah. And so when I walked in, and then you walk through the forest, and here's my greatest memory of Woodstock. I'm walking. It's still Sunday morning, mm -hmm. and we finally got there, so later because I had to walk. And, and I remember walking through this little forested area at the top, and you come out and the top of the hill, and you look down, and it's like something from the Bible. There's 500,000 people, the population of Edmonton on a hillside and the, and the concert, the stage way, 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 way down at the right, bottom of the hill. Right. Like you're, you're, I don't know, a quarter mile, half a mile. It's kind of like the Edmonton Folk Fest times about 10 in right. terms of, yeah, much like that actually. That bowl kind of. Yeah, yeah, the bowl, yeah. but, but half a million people wouldn't fit on that hill. No. So then I remember looking at it, and I, and I remember it, it wasn't even people. It was just sleeping bags. It was colors. It was like a quilt. Like from the air would be this abstract design. Right. And, and that is when, so still no music, still Sunday morning, but I was there for the third day. And I remember looking down, and that memory will never go away because when do you ever get to see, they're asleep, but half a million people. Amazing. And then, uh, yeah, later on when it started, I remember them starting the opening day. And then the first act that day was uh, Joe Cocker. Wow. And then the rain started to come. Uh, so then they shut it down, mm. and Jimi Hendrix was next. And I will admit this on, on radio for the first time. <laughs> I always said that I, w I went to Woodstock, only saw two acts. I saw Joe Cocker, and I saw Jimi Hendrix. Okay. And when I saw another documentary recently, I realized that Jimi Hendrix didn't play till Monday morning. Oh. And the other thing that I did tell you guys is not only did I go to Woodstock to see the Woodstock Festival, the very next night, driving back to Ontario, I went to a place in, 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 in Toronto called the Rock Pile that doesn't exist, and I saw Led Zeppelin <laughs> the night after Woodstock. <laughs> wow. I even told this to one of my students um, a few years ago, and... Um, she, Sarah Martin, and she um, Googled it and found out, yes, Led Zeppelin did play in the <laughs> rock pile on the Monday 
uh, August the 16th, the day after Woodstock. So she knew, not that Amazing. she didn't trust me. No, of course, but, but like, there's but, the dates. Yeah. But here's the, how bad is that? We spend our money, let's go to Woodstock and let's see Led Zeppelin. <laughs> how bad is that, right? Amazing. Yeah, so anyway, and, and that's what happened after. So you ended up staying another night to see uh, Jimmy I Hendrix. didn't. So anyway, Sherry, my wife, checked this, and it turns out that I had... I guess been lying all these years about it. <laughs> really? But, but you know why? I saw Jimi Hendrix yeah. at Maple Leaf Gardens at another uh, time, the night he got busted for weed and went to jail in okay. Toronto. Oh, okay. And for some reason, obviously, why would I make this up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was waiting for Hendrix, but when I saw the documentary, what I said to her is, you know what? Um, the um, sequencing is wrong. She right. said, what are you talking about? Look, I was there, and that didn't happen. <laughs> right. And so then when she looked at it, I don't buy that. It says he's there in the morning. So then I started looking it up, and I, and I, I checked the sequence, and I thought, could I have possibly? So Nailed in the end, yeah, and I, how could that happen? Huh. So then you start to question your own. So I definitely <laughs> course, yeah. saw, so I basically did all this work to go to Woodstock, saw one band, right. Joe Cocker. It <laughs> rained, so then we left because we had tickets for, to go see Led Zepp. Uh, to go yeah. Led Zepp, which we saw on the Monday night. Wow. I mean, that's still okay, but it's still the Amazing. Jimmy D experience, yeah. right? So, and you've seen Jimi Hendrix, though, regardless. And of, I saw Jimi Hendrix wow. in Maple Leaf Gardens, huh. and so somehow I'd put the two together, but it's... Uh, so now you've yeah. got me wanting to take it all the way back to the beginning. I didn't know you were from Ontario originally. Yeah, Is that yeah. where you were born? Yeah. That, that's, so I was born in London, Ontario. My university was the University of Western Ontario, okay. not U of A. Okay. And that's why I did my degree there, my oh, after degree. That's okay. how that happened. And, and how I, did came you out to, I came out to Alberta to, to teach. Okay. Cool. I taught a year there and I thought I'll try a job and then ended up teaching with Tasquin in Edmonton, that kind of stuff. So, cool. yeah. So, yeah. So that is my Woodstock story. Wow. There it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and when now we've got it on, on radio. Yeah. And Forever. I, I think it's more or less true. Wow. Even, I, even I, I can't believe we, this. We're 50 minutes into part two now. So awesome. Anything else you want to talk about or go over? Or? Um, you know, I, I guess I guess I would just like to wrap it up by saying that um, what I'm starting to appreciate in the last five years is it's such a wonderful thing. And again, I do not define my teaching career by this. But now that I've started teaching teachers, mm -hmm. now there's a kind of a meta level to right. my experience, yeah. and that's how life works. Where I'm watching them and the, the joy they're getting from teaching. And they obviously know I have a lot to offer because I have a lot of experience. And mm -hmm. so, so I'm not, I, I don't have the same need. I do have the same need to teach, but I realize it took me a long time to realize that my students are now teachers. Yeah. I, they are my kids, not For my sure. kids. And why shouldn't it be that way? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm talking to a teacher that's here on the first day and I've taught for 30 years, then I do have lots to offer and that can, that's a good thing for me to do as well. Mm -hmm. But the point I was going to make is that when I look at what you're doing and how you went to state and how you, you know, the whole heartland thing and the practicum and all of the stuff that led you to being where you are and Matt Gillespie and, you know, the 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 probably 25 students that are today I had an opportunity to teach and they're now in film and they're now in television or they're in independent film or they did it a little bit or they're actors or mm -hmm. they're arts administrators whatever that's 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 an I'm starting to um it's not that I haven't appreciated but I'm starting to see that maybe right. it's it's nostalgia maybe it's a little a little um of a, a kind of a melancholy quality but as you go through life you start to reflect on what you're doing, why you're yeah. doing it. Yeah. So I'm starting to enjoy like that you're doing this right. and that 
Matt Gillespie, of course, is doing. Yeah, his you've got thing like a spider and, web of, of yeah. students yeah. who've gone forward to do pretty cool things. Yeah, 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 and so maybe my journey, and no one knows their journey, and and now I'm starting. That's why I come back to the beginning of part one, where am I? Am I a teacher who's a writer? Or am I a writer who's a teacher? Mm. And I think the answer to that at the end of part two is um, the writing is an opportunity for me to reflect on my teaching journey. Ah, That's really ah. what and it on is. And Woodstock or whatever else it might be. And whatever gotcha. else yeah. it might <laughs> yeah, come yeah. up. So it's just a, exciting. So again, I don't want to imply that the students that I taught who are not in the film industry define whether or not... Um, uh, it was a worthwhile career mm. because I don't believe that to be true. Right. But um, it is wonderful to see. It's wonderful to see students go into whatever it is and, and find their destiny because I don't think that happens to everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to appreciate that uh, is my destiny to become a filmmaker. I'm going to continue to make films. I'm going to continue to do my thing day by day, film by film. Mm -hmm. But perhaps my role in the cosmos is to support and nurture others so that they can also go on and someone has to do that right so i'm not saying i'm giving up it's to say um maybe the best um lesson that i can give to you guys is uh, i don't give up mm -hmm. i'm still doing it mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how old you are mm -hmm. a filmmaker is a filmmaker and believe in your dreams and hang in there as as cliche as that might be no it's beautiful that's awesome. What a great way to end it. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for doing it. All right. See you soon. So that's uh, Steve Ashworth. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, some really inspiring stuff. And uh, I, yeah, like I said, I just love re-listening to that conversation. Um, really, uh, yeah, fired me up again. Awesome. Uh, kind of in the same way that he did way back when. So Yeah, totally. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a, what a sensational person mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. really cool to to hear those stories for sure right on uh so let's get into the news you can use upcoming deadlines uh the big rock eddies 2016 eddies short film festival um is starting uh the deadline for submission is coming right up uh this friday may 20th at 11:59 p.m to bigrockbeer.com so really hope that uh you've shot your your little eddie short film uh, if not then you should probably get on that today um, and definitely get that submitted. So the theme this year is Trailblazer. Trailblazer. And uh, yeah, the top 10 submissions will be screened at the Eddie's Short Film Festival at Theater Junction on June 4th. First ca place cash prize is $10,000. And that's always such a big party. Yeah, people, it's a cool party. People yeah. have a good time. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I went to the Eddie's one year and I got my free beer ticket. And I wasn't going to drink it. And uh, we were leaving and I was like, well, I should obviously give this free beer yeah, ticket away. Yeah, give it to somebody if you're yeah, not going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so I found this guy and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, do you want this this free beer ticket and he kind of laughed at me <laughs> and uh he was like yeah okay sure and he took it and then i was like all right have a great night and then walked away and then as i was leaving um i think it was my stepdad who was with the bus at the party he's like do you know who that was and i was like no and he's like it was the president of big rock <laughs> you just gave him a free he's probably a free got all the beer. free beer he's he got enough handle, of that yeah. so that was uh one of my other dumb moments <laughs> uh yeah so the Air Canada En Route Film Festival is uh, open uh, again. We've talked about it before, but the festival uh, is free to enter, and the deadline is May 31st, 2016. Um, and uh, it seems like a really cool opportunity, but uh, let's move things along and check out the show notes yeah. for the link. Uh, NSI, we talked about this last week. Um, they're launching a new program for Western Canada called Business for Producers. Um, it's in presentation with On Screen Manitoba, and it's aimed at... Uh, Content producers in Western Canada who are doing either TV, film, or digital media, 
um, and have small or mid-sized businesses who wish to grow their companies in the domestic and international marketplace. So it's more about um, business coaching than it is about content creation. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. more about um, accessing international marketplaces. Very cool. Um, the deadline's coming up quick, though. Monday, May 30th at midnight, or just before midnight, I guess. Um, and you must apply through one of their filter organizations. So oh, if you're so in, it's like micro-budget. It's kind of like telephone yeah. micro-budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're in Alberta, you got to apply through uh, Ampia. Mm. If you were in Saskatchewan, you got to apply through the SMPIA. I'm not sure what they call it. Sampia? Sampia? <laughs> SMPIA. And if you're uh, in Manitoba, oh. you must apply through OnScreen Manitoba. And if you're a French speaker and you want to go through the French version of the program, no matter which province you're in, you must apply through OnScreen Manitoba. Mm. So, uh, yeah, chat with your local organization and let them know that you're going to be applying and um, get those in. Totally. Uh, the animation lockdown from Quick Draw Animation Society is happening the, uh, the May long weekend, this weekend. Uh, so uh, we've talked about it before as well, but just just running through it quickly, it's going to be like a, a crazy three-day like sleep there, work there, build your animation, stop-motion animation or whatever other kind of animation. Um, there's uh, And then they're going to get screened and there's prizes and it's, uh, it's, it's a really cool event. Um, and uh, it costs $50 for producing members or $100 for non-members of, of Quick Draw Animation Society. Um, and the theme this year is the beginning is the end is the beginning. So register now and uh, have fun. That sounds like a blast. Sounds like a great weekend, yeah. Uh, also this weekend um, is the beginning of the 18th annual Fairy Tales Film Festival. Uh, it runs from May 20th to 28th. Uh, the full lineup passes and single tickets are now available at fairytalesfilmfest.com. Uh, so this is a nine-day uh, LGBTQA film festival. And it was actually, um, it was my practicum when I was at SATE. I, I was oh, a volunteer yeah. coordinator for, mm-hmm. for Fairy Tales. So um, really cool, really cool organization and really cool festival. And um, it's been around forever now, too. As far as, I, as long as I can remember, this festival has been going on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, 18 years. Yeah, there so, you go. Yeah. <laughs> as long as, yeah. it, is a, it is an adult now. Uh, 18th, yeah. So yeah, definitely uh, go check that out starting this weekend. And uh, again, I mentioned this last time around, the Film Reel Info Session uh, is uh, this new thing, and it's kind of hard for me to wrap my, my head around it, but it seems like it's a it's an app that's going to help organizations, artist-run organizations, manage their membership databases, um, keep track of who's on their member roles, what they're up to, what the projects are, and help them, uh, obviously, with the funding deadlines and, and, and criteria that they have to meet for funders. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more to it. And luckily, there's an info session happening on May 17th in Fava's exhibition suite at 6 p.m. Uh, so tomorrow. That is tomorrow, yes. Wow, yeah. Oh, so head over there tomorrow. Uh, it's on the second floor of the Fava building there, and uh, you can check out the link for more information. Uh, Fava is also looking for volunteers for the casino this weekend, May 22nd and 23rd at the Century Casino. So uh, if you've got some free time and you want to earn some Fava bucks um, and some good karma, then email membership at fava.ca to sign up for that. And those are always fun. I mean, those are always kind of a good time. It's a late night, but you're hanging out oh, with yeah, other filmmakers yeah. And, yeah. and chilling Chatting out. Chatting. Yeah, and, and, and the casino always treats you really well. Yeah, There's yeah. like snacks and drinks. Yeah, and for stuff, sure. Yeah. So it's worth checking out. For sure. So uh, the Elements of Light, uh, FSAC, Welcome Gathering and Screening. It's a, uh, it's a partnership between the Canadian Filmmakers Distribution Center and the Film Studies Association of Canada. And they are going to be presenting a program at the University of Calgary on May 30th, uh, 7 p.m., show at 8 uh, 
where they're going to be just presenting a, a selection of Alberta short films, uh, and they're kicking off that year's this year's annual uh, FSAC annual conference, which runs May 31 to June 1st. Um, so it's a cool way to kick off the show with some Alberta content, and you can check out the link in the show notes for more information. At uh, the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers, next Tuesday, May 24th, is the semi-annual CSIF member screening and director's talk. So that's at 7 p.m. at Theatre Junction Grand, uh, Tuesday the 24th. And this uh, screening will have quite a few awesome filmmakers in it. So we've got uh, J.P. Marchand, Ted Stenson, Guillaume Carlier, friend of the podcast, Dominique Keller, Mike Peterson, and Cam McGowan. Um, We'll all be there and uh, screening some of the films that they made or um, some of their selections. So... Definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the uh, Secret Cinema event. So there are four nights this summer this, uh, for the Secret Cinema, and, to- and one of them is tomorrow night. So, uh, again, it's the uh, library of films inherited by the CSIF from the Calgary Public Library. Uh, and uh, one curator uh, has selected a, a film to show the group. And um, there's going to be a Q&A and uh, an outdoor cozy courtyard screening uh at the csif um so check that out uh tomorrow night so into uh upcoming workshops and classes uh if you're in calgary the csif has two workshops coming up pretty quickly uh there is one called working with actors blocking specifically and just chatting about how um blocking a scene can make the entire difference uh in the quality and in your performance and uh drama and creating tension and all this stuff um, so it is, uh, May 19th. That's Thursday night from six to 10 PM, $65 for members, uh, 105 for non-members. Uh, the CSAF is also hosting on May 25th from six to 9 PM, an eight millimeter transfer workshop, um, using their new RetroScan eight telecine transfer system to digitize both standard eight and super eight films. So, um, hmm. yeah, if you're interested in either of those things, check it out. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and Fava has a workshop uh, happening on Sunday, May 29th, and they call it the Fava Free for All. Um, and it, it it's there's eight spots, and it gives you some hands-on experience with uh, the AC160, the AC160 video cameras, which are I guess Fava's uh, popular everyday uh, camera. And it's it's all about uh, getting you familiar with the camera, practicing you know shooting setups and and uh, color temperatures, and learn just learning how to use the camera and uh, and create some cool looking scenes with it so uh that is from 1 to 5 p.m in the fava exhibition suite on sunday may 29th so what's shooting apart from probably a ton of story hive projects right now yeah good point um those are probably getting kicked off but uh as far as what the the bigger budget stuff um the has wrapped up uh but heartland uh has returned for its 10th season uh, and they've started shooting. I think they're, they must be five or six days yeah, into shooting sh- now. Yeah. That shows a mammoth. It is. Yeah, it's, it's and great. it's it's back and it's great. And uh, and uh, obviously, um, good luck to them on season ten. And and I know of the fact that they were starting because of their social media presence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which yeah. is like what a great example of of a social media profile that knows its audience mm-hmm. and knows the kind of communication, right. the kind of messaging that they're interested yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely a great case study for for doing it right. For sure. Yeah. Uh, job calls. The uh, Calgary Stampede is looking for a video technician. It's kind of a cool gig. Um, obviously, you have to have a lot of technical skills, um, and they are looking for someone to uh, help them out with also all things video, operate audio, visual, electronics equipment, set up, prepare, and operate and adjust audio recording, edit, editing, and reproducing equipment to record, edit, and reproduce sound input, all sorts of different stuff. So um, you can check out the show notes for more information on that. Uh, the call closes on June 6th. 
Nice. That's that it, sounds all, like a yeah. cool gig. What's, um, what are you recommending this week? Uh, I am, uh, as you know, a big podcast fan uh, and uh, also a big fan of Game of Thrones. So what could be better than a Game of Thrones podcast? Uh, the TV series Game of Thrones. <laughs> this is true. But <laughs> let me tell you that this podcast is called A Cast of Kings, and it's got it's got uh, a book reader, someone who's read all the books, and then someone who's read none of the books. So I, ha- I have to say there have been moments listening to this podcast after I watch an episode of the show where it's like the book reader tells you like, oh, here's why they did this or here's where this came from. I don't understand how you could watch the show without this information. The the show just skips over things and understandably you can't you can't fit it all, but there's so much more information if you've read the book um, and I haven't, but this is a great way to just Fill get those, that information. Yeah. So, so, and yeah, and they're, they're entertaining people and, uh, and it's, it's been, uh, I've been listening to it for seasons and seasons now. So, uh, always a great listen. Nice. Uh, my recommendation is, is kind of a stupid one, but I think it's important, um, from a bit of a, an inspiration sort of thing. Um, the recommendation is to get the right tool for the job. Um, find a way to empower yourself enough, um, to be creative. And the reason I say that is I was cutting um, this, this corporate commercial video uh, last week and I was cutting on this brand new iMac that we spent a, a serious amount of money on. And we, you know, full disclosure, we normally edit on our, our laptops, which yeah, I think the, are t- 2012. Yeah, 20, 2013. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, we, we, we cut on MacBook Pros and I mean, it's usually just fine. Totally. Like we've been doing it for years and uh, haven't had many complaints on that, but I was cutting on this iMac, and suddenly I could, I could, um, if I had an idea that I needed After Effects for, I could just open up After Effects, and it launched in five seconds, and I could render this this little animation out in another five seconds. So um, it removed a lot of the barriers to the things that I wanted to do. I was color grading while I was cutting, <laughs> um, which was awesome to be able to kind of track that progress. It was it was just such a it freed me up to be creative. It basically mm-hmm. took away the technical barriers that um, that my MacBook Pro might just take five minutes to do so that I could be kind of spontaneously creative. And and the product shone through because of it. I mean, it, right. was, it right. ended up being a pretty great video. Totally. And I, what, what interests me about that is, is, is how it affects your brain. Like I think, right. I think that changes the way your brain approaches ideas and, and creativity and, and thinking. So when you have, when you're, when you're not, when you don't have a time barrier or, or, or just, yeah. Just uh, processing uh, power. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it changes the way you create and that's, uh, that's very interesting and a good example of it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously sometimes this can be a very expensive recommendation. It's like, well, then I'll just go buy a red. Yeah. Yeah. For Cause sure. then I can shoot 4k or whatever yeah. it might be. But, but just knowing that, um, sometimes we always have to make concessions and we always have to pick gear sometimes that's that's available rather than perfect mm-hmm. um but it it also i think encourages us to be as picky as we can and uh fight for the, the best tool for the job if you can fight for it um because sometimes it's worth it mm-hmm. and sometimes those technical limitations while they might not seem like a big deal um can add up and stifle creativity and stifle right. just your feeling of empowerment as far as what you're able to do and what you're able to create um even if they aren't there uh, it can still kind of help you creatively so yeah. that's my recommendation today yeah absolutely that's a cool example uh so big thanks to Briar uh who puts together the news and and helps the podcast actually happen every week um without her we would be lost that's right i wouldn't know what to talk about (laughs) and if you're an alberta filmmaker this podcast is about you and it's for you so keep in mind we always want to hear from you and and would love to share your news have you on the podcast talk about 
whatever you're you're thinking about or is going on in your community as well. So let us know. We want to we want to involve as many people as we can. Yeah, email is always best. Hello at abfilmcast.ca, uh, and you can check us out on SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at abfilmcast. Um, and of course, subscribe to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast on iTunes. And thanks everyone for sharing. Um, the podcast grows every week and mm-hmm. we're just really happy that people are digging this. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. Uh, we'll see you next time and go make, make some. Make some.